a shocking upset in Detroit. An overtime game between the Pacers and the Celtics. Plus, what's up with the Nets? This is Locked On NBA. You are Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On NBA. Glad that you're with us. My name is Matt Moore. I'm the senior NBA writer for the Action Network, joined by the host of Locked On Heat, David Ramil. You can find him on Twitter at DRamil13. David, we had ourselves an interesting night in the association on Monday. Absolutely. It was uh, not quite what we would expect. Maybe not, none of the marquee matchups that you might see on a, on a nightly basis uh, with the NBA, but uh, some good games sprinkled in there here and there. But uh, overall, an interesting night. I think uh, the, the night began somewhat interestingly for the Utah Jazz. Uh, that was a team coming into Detroit for the fifth game, a, a five-game road trip, and it seemed like, you know, facing a bad Pistons team that's clearly rebuilding. And you think to yourself, okay, this is a clear victory for the Jazz. Top offense in the NBA. Pistons, one of the teams that gives up the most points in the NBA. So it seemed like it was a clear path for a blowout for Utah. And it seemed like that was the path that this was going early in the game. They actually built a 22-point lead. And then the problem that's been recurring for the Jazz, they slowly gave up the lead. The Pistons tightened things up. They figured out exactly what to do defensively. Shout out to Trey Lyles, because I think he actually was a huge difference maker. No Rudy Gobert for the Jazz. Hassan Whiteside starting in his place. And at first, it seemed like Whiteside was going to be filling in for Gobert pretty admirably, which pains me deeply to say out loud. But he actually started the game pretty well. He, he was going offensively, had some nice block shots. Everything was going well for the Jazz, as I said, with that 22-point lead. And then with Lyles in the game, they were able to draw Whiteside away from the paint and then attack the paint. And it all started off with Cade Cunningham. He he led the, the, the game for Detroit with his season-high, career-high, of course, 29 points. Just incredible shooting from him also from the perimeter. Wind up going, was it 5 of 9 from 3-point range? Was also matched 29 points from Sadiq Bey. He also went 5 of 7 a little bit more efficiently than Cunningham. Cunningham started off slowly, but he really picked it up towards the end. Again, recognizing the mismatch, seeing the open lane with Whiteside out of the paint, was able to attack it, spray it out to three-point shooters, and that was a difference maker right there. They were wound up slowly cutting into the lead, and then by the end of the game, it was just a clear a clear victory for the Detroit Pistons, who wound up winning it 126-116. to The Jazz losing their third straight, again, and a five-game road trip. They went two and three during that stretch. And I have to say, Matt, although it looks like a stunning upset, as you said before, I'm not – I won't go so far as to say that this is like a death knell or anything. It's probably like somewhat of a microcosm or somewhat representative of the recurring problems for the Utah Jazz, not just because of the blown leads, but also the fact that Gobert in the playoffs have been somewhat unplayable. If you have a stretch big or somebody like Lyles who was able to at least – you know, pull out a center away from the paint. I, I don't know that it's necessarily as bad. Look, they didn't have Rudy Gay. Uh, Eric Pascal's not a great defensive player either. They were somewhat undermanned there. And again, facing the Pistons, maybe you say to yourself, this was a team that they should have clearly beaten. But I, I, I didn't take it as a particularly egregious loss. Not sure how much of the game that you saw. But I, I think it's just, you know, they just, they, they, they gave up the lead. And yes, 
Detroit figured out exactly how to score against his team. But overall, I don't know if it's necessarily a, a, a problem that indicates that the Utah Jazz were exposed to some degree. It's an interesting one, I think, from this perspective. Um, so Jazz fans, of course, were very much like, see what happens when Rudy Gobert is not there. And, you know, my response is like, well, yeah, the whole thing is, you built your team entirely too dependent on Rudy Gobert. Like that's the whole problem is that you should be able to beat the Pistons without Rudy Gobert. And whether that's sure. your personnel isn't good enough defensively, you don't have enough ultimate playmakers. You don't have enough depth. Jazz fans will tell you, and they were, they were on this last year to credit. They will tell you that this team does not have enough perimeter defenders. That their perimeter defense is simply not good, and it, and the only reason that they're good on on defense is Rudy Gobert. I don't even disagree with that. There's no way you could disagree with it. Like look sure. at tonight, right? The Pistons are one of the like they start off the season as one of the historically worst offenses in the NBA in all of its history, and they shot 52 percent from the field tonight. Like the problem is you should not be this dependent. If I'll say this, the reason I think this is concerning. If you can't win this game without Rudy Gobert, you have bigger problems. Like, this is a game that you should win anyway. And it's most of the time, I'm pretty forgiving of like a random Monday night in January, whatever. Sure. Non conference opponent on the road, no Gobert, whatever. But the Pistons are so far below what the Jazz portend to be that there is no way that Rudy Gobert's absence should mean that they should lose to this team outright. Um, you mentioned Sadiq Bey. Just want to give some extra yep. love for him. He's been fantastic. And Very good. he's just been on fire. Like, he is really good. He has such good body control. He is able to create his own shot. Like, Sadiq Bey is good, good. So, yep. shout out to him for another great night, 29 points, as you mentioned. Uh, let's go to Charlotte. I looked at this game on the schedule and I said to myself, okay, the Bucks are in Charlotte. I remember last year the Bucks losing inexplicably to the Hornets a few, couple times. So I looked it up and I was like, oh yeah, the Bucks went one and two versus the Hornets. And guess what? They've gone one and two versus the Hornets this year as Charlotte gets another victory, 103-99 versus the Bucks. One more to play in the season series. Um, this was, to be quite honest, a pretty wretched game. Oh, yeah. 44 three-pointers for the Charlotte Hornets attempted. 43 <laughs> for the Bucks. It was a game with 87 three-pointers attempted and 26 makes. Um, <laughs> not exactly a beautiful illustration of basketball. No Drew Holiday tonight. Um, the Hornets got... 27 points from Terry Rozier, who continues yeah. to, under the radar, be just vital for what that team is doing. Like Terry Rozier has been terrific. 27 points, uh, seven boards, four assists, two steals for Rozier, and some clutch buckets. And, you know, eight of 17 on the night was one of the better shooting nights. A very, yeah. a, a suddenly really good Gordon Hayward game. Um, 14 points on six of 12 shooting, 50%. The bigger thing was that. Whenever the Bucks would kind of make a run to get to, to close the lead, Hayward would just be like, up, oh, up, oh, here's a three, up, yeah. oh, here's a little pull-up jumper. Just little quiet things as Hayward kind of paced them. Um, LaMelo Ball, 23 points on 8 of 19, five boards. Uh, just three assists tonight for LaMelo, which isn't surprising since no one could put the ball in the bucket. Uh, the Hornets won shooting 40% from the field and 30% from three-point range. 
Giannis with 26 points, 13 rebounds, eight assists, light work for Giannis. Chris Middleton had 27 on good minutes, 18 points on seven of 10 shooting. Came back, goes 0 of 8 from the field, 0 of 7 from 3, and is a 22. Um, just rough. Now, DiVincenzo's had a long road back for recovery. It's taken a little long time. Andy, lots of stuff there, but Langston Galloway, 0 of 2. Pat Connaughton, 0 of 6. Like, that's three of your, what, five bench players that played? None of those guys could hit a shot, and they just absolutely got rolled by just basic competency and some staggered lineups from Charlotte. It wasn't that Charlotte, like, lit it up. It was just, yeah. they just kind of stretched it out. Uh, this was a really ugly game. I, I am a little bit of the mindset, though, of I'm not sure that Milwaukee, you know, Milwaukee used to be just be able to tear through teams, even if one guy or two guys were out. And we're just like a long way from that. Now, some of that's like they they broke down assets to get Drew Holiday. Problem is like yeah. now Drew Holiday and Brooke Lopez aren't there. So they just, you know, they, some nights they have it and some nights they don't. The the Bucks are definitely mortal this season is what I'm getting at. If you can only get 10 bench points, and that was mostly because you got six points for Rodney Hood, including a late late three-pointer in the game. And you can't survive that, especially if you're getting a bad Bobby Portis game as well in the starting lineup. Just two of yep. seven from the field for five points. So those two factors. And the fact that I think this – they were playing two games in Charlotte, right? Was it this a, a two-game set they were both facing in Charlotte's, and they lost yeah. both of those? So, I'm, you know, I guess it was just kind of like they were out of their environment. They were very uncomfortable. And, again, with those bad performances scattered throughout, some key turnovers late in the game. I think Giannis had a bad turnover there. He just didn't seem as aggressive as he normally is. And, again, Charlotte, not a particularly good defensive team, but yet somehow still able to do just enough to eke out a victory there. But I'm glad you brought up the point about Hayward because, yes, his quiet shooting really carried the game for Charlotte, too. I mean, Terry Rozier was phenomenal all game long, but Hayward was a difference maker in his own way, quietly just hitting shots. You know, every time they made the comeback, he would just put a little dagger here and there, just continue to outdistance the Bucks, and that was enough. But the Bucks did not look good. They'll get some... They'll get some fresh blood in soon, and hopefully that'll be enough for them to kind of figure it out. But tonight, that just wasn't the case, especially if you're not getting the kind of shooting you expect from Bobby Portis. One more before we get a break. Uh, let's talk very quickly. I, I don't mean to short the Sixers here. I, I don't. Look, the Sixers have, have been playing really well. They have some of the best net rating in the last two weeks. Like, they are very quietly sneaking up. They've won seven in a row now. The Sixers are absolutely streaking. They're just... Um, they're actually one up on the Bucks in the loss column. They are only two behind the Nets for the division lead. Like the Sixers are absolutely back in the thick of things in the Eastern Conference. And Joel Embiid looks like the MVP candidate that he was last season. 31 points tonight, eight boards, six assists in 26 minutes. He had 31, eight and six in 26 minutes tonight versus the Houston Rockets as the Sixers just very calmly take care of business and blow out the Rockets. 111-91. That's like the perfect Sixer score. You put up 111, you hold them to 91. I, I'm not trying to, to short them. It's just like the Sixers have been playing a lot of, of really subpar teams, which that it's their turn to do so. Like every team gets a stretch where the, their schedule's easy and they're doing what good teams should do, which is they're annihilating them. That's pretty much all this was. The Rockets have nothing on the interior. They have no way to stop Embiid. The Sixers are a much better team. And as the conversations continue to swirl about Ben Simmons and whatever else, 
the Sixers are just kind of rolling and getting it done. They're just winning playoffs. They're not struggling. They're good. They're not at the top. They're just quietly under the radar, taking care of business, and they get a very comfortable win versus Houston. Yeah, that's all there is to it. I watched zero seconds of this game. I'll be 100% honest with you. Even when we were talking about which games to focus in on over the night, I just watched this one and it seemed like it was going to be an easy victory, even though yeah. the Sixers were on the road, and it absolutely was. A 20-point spanking with MB doing exactly what he does against a weak front court in, in Houston. Uh, you know, I, they're a very good team. I just... I'm so hesitant to even figure out exactly what their prognosis for the season could be, considering we haven't seen the final version of this roster. It's going to go through some dramatic change at some point soon. And just what, when, whatever they wind up being, I'm sure will wind up being a contending team just because you've got an MVP candidate on the roster already. But for now, it's kind of hard to say how clear they are as far as whether where they fit in the hierarchy of the Eastern Conference. To me, the big illustration here for the Rockets is just simply this game illustrates like how far away you are in terms of having what you need because they're so disorganized on offense. You face a team like the Sixers that are going let, to let nothing go easy on you. Yeah. And it was, yeah. I mean, it really was. It was it was a beatdown. Um, this one felt worse than the score from what I watched. <laughs> we'll take a break. Yeah. We'll come back and we'll cover some more games, including an overtime thriller between the Pacers and the Celtics. We'll get into the Knicks, Bing Bong, and more when we come back on Locked On Nuggets. But first, I do want to tell you about Bet Online. Bet Online would like to wish you a happy new betting year as they continue their march to the playoffs and beyond. Bet Online remains the number one spot for all the best sports wagering action for 2022. It's a new year, and there's a new updated desktop and mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use promo code Locked On L O C K E D O N. To get started, football, basketball, hockey, boxing, and UFC. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for 2022. I'm excited about Wildcard Weekend this weekend. Should be a really interesting one. Go Chiefs. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports. Bet online where the game starts. We'll be right back on Locked On NBA. Back here on Locked On NBA, thanks for making us part of your day and making us your first listen each and every day. We're free and we're available on all platforms. Now, make your second listen Locked On Now. Nightly recaps of every NBA game with analysis from local experts. Listen to Locked On Now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or watch it on the Locked On NBA YouTube channel. Back here with David Ramil, I'm Matt Moore talking about Monday night in the NBA. David, I missed this one because I was focused on other games. Tell me. Well, okay, I'm going to take that back, David. I have to admit something to you. I skipped this game because watching the Pacers play is physical torture to me because they should be so much better than they are. Tell me about their loss to the Celtics in overtime. That sums it up perfectly. This was an overtime game, right? You see this on paper, just like the Pacers team, and you say to yourself, man, that must have been a good game. It was absolutely brutal. It was the most sluggish game I've seen all season long, and I've seen some bad ones. Just had no pace whatsoever. I was practically falling asleep, even though this game started at 7 o'clock in the the evening here. And yet it was just so bad. No flow whatsoever. Uh, The Celtics were less bad, and they were actually able to build a 12-point lead early on. DeMontis Sabonis really struggled. Both teams shot for under 30% from three-point range. So, again, 
similar to another game we talked about, just no long-range shooting whatsoever. Eventually, however, despite that 12-point lead, the Pacers kind of sort of clawed their way back. They got some timely shots from Torrey Craig, who led the team with 19 points, a Lance Stevenson three-pointer, and an and-one dunk and free throw gave Indiana a four-point lead with just over a minute left to play. But Robert Williams' free throws, the Time Lord, cuts the lead in half, and a Jason Tatum jumper from the baseline with 1.8 seconds left sent the game into overtime. The Celtics led all the way through overtime. Tatum hits free throws with two seconds left to put Boston up three and hold on the win. The Pacers now have lost seven of their last eight games. Absolutely brutal stretch for them. They just can't seem to figure it out. It was just it's so ugly to watch this team play because you're absolutely right. I mean, I know you hosted last week's show with Tony E, so he probably would have had a lot more to say about it, but he's spoken about it pretty eloquently and frequently over the past, well, a couple of months. Just watching this team is a painful experience. They just can't seem to figure it out. There was more than one possession there where Miles Turner just keeps calling things out defensively, communicating loudly you know, through this really dead crowd that was basically just hanging on for dear life as he was watching this game. And nobody else is responding. Nobody else is moving. Sabonis flopping, drawing fouls. Look, he got the ugliest triple-double I've ever seen also. He finished with uh, 10 points, uh, 23 rebounds, so he was pulling down boards because nobody was hitting their shots. Uh, but he also finished with 10 assists as well for a triple-double. But, man, it was just watching this team and that kind of talent. And, of course, no Malcolm Brogdon. Uh, you know, Lance Stevenson brought in there for the hardship rule. I think he's going to be with the team for the rest of the season, if I'm not mistaken. So maybe they'll get a little juice out of that. But uh, it's not fun watching him play, even though he, he had some nice plays here and there. Overall, though, this is just an ugly team. And, I mean, they've been talked about all season long as a team on the cusp of blowing things up. I think that's absolutely the next step for them. What do you think? Yeah, it has to be. They, they look like they've quit. That's how they have played. It's just like they have, they're in, they have the talent to win these games, and they just don't. I think it's weird The Paul George – like, we go back to the Paul George days, right? So, like, PG's there, and he wants out. Okay, typical superstar wants to go to a bigger market. Had some frustration with the front office, but PG clearly, like, wanted L.A. and his future. That's pretty well known, right? Okay, fine. So they trade for Victor Oladipo, and Victor Oladipo breaks out and is an all-star, and they make some noise, and it looks like this team is, like, is really going somewhere. Okay, great. And then Victor Oladipo wants out, and he gets hurt. He comes back, and he still wants out. And then now we've got Sabonis, and Sabonis wants out. Like, that's been out there. That's been known. And, I, I, like, I'll say this, Scott Agnes, who covers the team, has refuted that, has said that that's not true. I, I am telling you, the league is under the understanding that Demonis Sabonis does not want to play in Indiana anymore. That is where the maybe the entire league is just conspiring to try and force him out. But that's where the league, everyone says that. Another thing I'll say is, it just feels if it, it feels very much like this team is just like this doesn't work, or they just don't like it. There's zero vibe. There is a oh, there yeah. is sub zero vibe. There is negative vibe there. They have no vibe, and it is uh, really apparent. I want to see Miles Turner somewhere where he can contribute. I want to see yeah. TJ Warren get back healthy and contribute somewhere. I honestly, I want to see Karis LeVert. There was talk. Uh, Sham Sarania of The Athletic had a report today that the Cavs are looking at Karis LeVert. That's perfect. Get Karis LeVert to Cleveland. Stat. Like, get these guys out of there and to somewhere where they will play like they're connected because it is absolutely just a mess. Uh, let's go to New York. The Knicks get a really – I thought this was a pretty good win tonight. Uh, they needed a, a feel-good win, and this was a pretty good feel-good win for the Knicks because I think in particular their win over the Spurs 
111-96. Not only did they play good enough defense to hold the Spurs to 96 points and 41% shooting from the field, 28% from three, R.J. Barrett was phenomenal in this game. Twisting layups, pull-up jumpers, three of four from three, 31 points on 12 of 20 for Barrett, uh, three rebounds, four assists, plus 11, great defense. R.J. Barrett's been great this season. They got two points in this game from Julius Randle, David. Yeah. And they, and they won it going away. Um, Mitchell Robinson was too much on the inside for Jakob Pertl. They really beat him up on the inside. Uh, Pertl has not looked right since coming back from COVID, quite honestly. Alec Burks with another really, really solid game with 16 points, 5 of 10 shooting. His thing, 18 points on 5 of 12. Emmanuel quickly gave him, like, they just had good contributions all the way through. And meanwhile, uh, the Spurs, they started Josh Primo, who, whew, boy, that kid's young. Um, 11 points, 4 of 9 shooting for Primo. You know, look, DeJounte Murray was fantastic. 24 points on 11 of 19 shooting and 5 assists. He was great. But every minute that he wasn't on the floor was really bad. The Spurs are going through their COVID stretch here. So no Kelvin Johnson, no Derek White, no Doug McDermott, no Devin Vassell. All these guys are out. And that definitely, Jock Londale as well, like all these guys being out definitely makes their rotation substantially worse. But the starters actually just got their teeth kicked in as this game went along. They actually had the lead after the first quarter. And then the Knicks just kind of like kept pounding, they kept pounding the rock against the Spurs and, Eventually, the more talented team won out. Um, I was a little bit disappointed. I thought San Antonio would be able to do more defensively or offensively versus this Knicks defense, which has been weak. But Lonnie Walker, 5 of 19 off the bench, 15 points on 19 shots. They're obviously missing a lot of three-point shooters, but just they were just outgunned by a Knicks team, and that's rare this season. Yeah, well, the Spurs had been playing on the second night of back-to-back. They had been in Brooklyn the night before, and that was a tight, yeah. uh, tough loss for them. They lost by two to Brooklyn, so that was tough. But Randall, that's the story of the game, right? Introduced to, to the Madison Square ground and crowd, and I think there was a, a smattering of booze as he was introduced there and then goes on oh. to have his worst game of the season. Uh, yeah. I, I've heard noise that, I mean, that he might want out of there, not that – the Knicks are inclined to trade him or anything like that. I'm not sure if you've heard anything in particular, but it seems like that relationship is somewhat broken. And that's considering the, the, the feel good story of the year last season where he led that team to the playoffs and everybody was so high on that group and thinking that they were going to be able to progress. He signs the extension this year. And everybody thinks that they're going to be able to continue to build with him as their centerpiece. And then all of a sudden it's just things have gone sour very quickly in New York. And I'm not sure if it's, Randall, I'm not sure if it's uh, bringing in Evan Fournier. I'm not sure if it's just the way they rebuilt over the summer. I'm not sure if it's just Tibbs. But something is something is going wrong there, and they have to lean into Barrett as their true centerpiece moving forward. At least that's my opinion. Let's take a break. We'll come back, and we will talk about another upset. This time out west, but an east team taking the dive as well as a nail-biter between the Cavs and the Kings. We'll do that when we come back on Locked On NBA. We'll be right back.
Back here on Locked On NBA, thanks for making this part of your day, making this your first listen each and every day. We're free and available on all platforms. Now make your second listen, Locked On Bets, your daily one-stop shop for all your gambling needs. Locked On Bets, hosted by your boy Q with expert analysis from Lee Sterling. It's free and it's available on all platforms as well. I'm Matt Moore. I'm back here with David Ramil, breaking down Monday night in the NBA. Let's go ahead and head out west to Portland, where the extremely shorthanded Portland Trailblazers we're hosting the mighty Brooklyn Nets along with Kyrie Irving, who's returned. No James Harden tonight, past sore knee. Um, and so you'd still think that this was going to be a pretty comfortable win. But Anthony Simons and company had different ideas, David. Yeah, Simons has been looking phenomenal lately. Uh, he had that 40-point game. Recently, he looked good against the Heat uh, last week when they uh, faced the, the, the Miami. Um, yeah, I was a little surprised to see the Blazers pull out this victory. Yeah, I mean, I know they've been without C.J. McCollum for a long stretch of time. They've been without Dave Lillard, who we'll talk about a little bit later in this segment. But still, for them to be able to upset this Nets team, and it comes down basically to their bench, not getting much contributions from anybody other than Cam Thomas and his 21 points, 14 points for, I don't even know who this person is, a D-Sharp? I'm sorry, Dayron Sharp? This is the Day first Ron. time yeah, I've ever Day Ron's really good. I'm excited okay, about well, Dayron. Oh, well, there you go. At least somebody is. <laughs> I didn't know anything about him. That, that's just my bad. Other than that, though, I, I look, uh, not getting the kind of stellar performance from KD that they might need there. Maybe they're just on the road. I know, they again, they were playing the second night of a back-to-back themselves. But, I mean, this is the Blazers. This has been a team that's yeah. been dysfunctional all season long. How did they pull it off? I mean, you watched the game closely. Did you see anything there that led to a – I mean, aside from Simons' top performance there, was there anything particularly bad from the Nets that you, that stood out to you? Well, uh, Kyrie Irving going nine of twenty-one and three of eight that, for three. That helps. Like part of it. Yeah, yeah, that, that was a big part. But look, I'll, I'll say this: um, this is I, the risk here is confirmation bias. All right, because my my opening position on this Nets team going into the season and it has been confirmed every single game since is that they do not have the defensive horses to get this done. They are not good enough defensively. Their entire concept is just like, who needs defense? We've got Katie and Kyrie and Harden. We're going to put up 120 every night. Why would we need to defend? I'm like, this is the NBA. Okay, like you're going to have to play like a little bit of defense. Not, not don't throw me wrong. Last couple of years, not much. But this is part of it. With the rule changes, that's changed. You better be a little bit physical or you're going to be in some trouble. And the Nets are not physical. And they are slow. And they are undermanned. And they are undersized. And it's a problem. And the reason that, that I say that. The look, the Blazers got 15 threes. That's not like an egregious amount. They were able to get buckets at the rim. They scored 114 on this team. They got 23 points from Simon. Okay, Simon's been playing great, but they got 20 from Ben McLemore and 21 from Robert Covington. Like Robert Covington. Um, And so if you're not, let's say this if you're on the road and you're not feeling your sharpest, but if you're not a good defensive team to start with, that just drags you down, and that's how a Blazers team puts up 114 on you without Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum. That's a problem. Like Again, it's kind of like with the Jazz, where if you're not good enough without Rudy Gobert to beat the Pistons, you have bigger problems. If you are not good enough defensively to hold down a Blazers team without CJ McCollum and Damian Lillard, there's probably an issue there. Now, look, I think that's a letdown spot, right? Like we mentioned yesterday, like, they got the win versus the Spurs, right? Big win. And just in overtime, at least, like snuck one out. Not a big win, but snuck one out. You travel. You're in Portland. It's rough. I get it. No Harden. Yeah. I get it. But these are the type of games where I go, 
you are underperforming consistently versus expectation, like this would be fine if it was just like, well, the Nets are just trying to be good. You know, they're they're finding their way. This is supposed to be like the championship favorite. They are the they are the odds on favorite to or not odds on. They are the favorite to win the NBA title at every book, and they've lost five of seven. Now, good teams can have bad stretches, but I don't see where the the Nets are going to get better defensively. Um, I don't think anybody's. I don't think anybody's scared of Brooklyn, right? Like they're scared no. of Kevin Durant. They're scared of Harden to some extent, and maybe what Kyrie could do. He gets respect around the league. But Brooklyn as a team, no one's fearing them the way they do. Say a team like the, the Milwaukee Bucks. So I think I. Yeah. I think a lot more teams around the league are more cautious about dealing with the Milwaukee team than they are Brooklyn. I totally agree. Uh, speaking of the Blazers, report today out of Bleacher Report, Sean Hyken reports that. Dame is likely to get shut down at some point in the coming weeks. Uh, he's been dealing with an abdominal injury. Look, the the whispers around the league have been that this has been an ongoing issue for not like for we're talking months to years has been the idea right. that this has been a recurring issue. It's gotten worse. It's been probably it's been more of a problem. The the team obviously got off to a bad start, and then it's, everything has gone sideways. Neil Shea gets let go um, for a variety of reasons that were not team related. Um, there seem to be changes on the horizon for this team. And if so, uh, the term soft tank is what's being kind of like bandied about, right? You don't actually like tank out, but you trade CJ McCollum, you trade use of Nurkic. If Damian Lillard shuts it down, you have to expect major changes at this roster by the deadline. Right. Does Norman Powell stay on the roster? Is he somebody that they, they plan on keeping, or do you think they can continue to pair him alongside Lillard? You know, they just re-signed him. I think that one of the questions I think you have to have is, okay, like Simons probably can step up and be maybe what, what McCollum was, right? Like a secondary option, a second play, playmaker. The problem I think is that Powell was kind of brought on to be like a third playmaker, but he hasn't really been that. He's solid, he's good, but he's not like a guy that if they're blitzing Dame, I don't think you can just get the ball out to Norman Powell and be like, go make a play. Because Norman Powell's right. more of, like he's a trigger man, he can execute, he can do good things. But he doesn't really have enough bounce to his game, I think, to, to threaten defenses. At least that's how it was in that first round series versus the Nuggets. So yeah, good point. I think I think this is going to be – I think Powell has to at least be considered, especially depending on – like, the, here's the question, though. If you're keeping Dame, you're not reconfiguring towards, like, a youth movement. You're mm -hmm. probably looking to contend now. And I think if you're looking at it from that perspective, you probably say, look, we can get – let's try and get upgrades – at the slots above Powell. If Norman Powell becomes our fourth best player versus our third best player, maybe we can have something going. And that's going to be, I think, the reconsideration. But uh, it's going to be very fascinating to watch this Portland team as we get closer to the deadline, which is only a month away. Yeah. Disappointing to see them engage in the soft tank, as you put it. I wonder if Chauncey Billups survives whatever transition they'll go through, especially if they're making such major moves. I know they just hired him, but I mean... Yeah, I got to think they will, but all the questions are about Jody Allen and, and what she wants to do. Yeah. Uh, last game of the night, Cleveland Cavaliers taking on the Sacramento Kings. Uh, the Kings almost, almost came away with a victory, but then, no. Uh, the Cavaliers, obviously having a great season despite the loss of Ricky Rubio and Colin Sexton, uh, yeah. they get the win. What did you see in this one? Well, it was a pretty exciting game, to be honest with you. Uh, after being down for most of the games, the Kings were actually able to take a lead midway through the fourth quarter, and a buddy heel three-pointer put Sacramento up four with eight minutes left, and all the momentum 
seemingly shifting in their favor. But the Cavs responded with a 14-3 run, and they were up 10 with two minutes left to play. It looked like they were going to bury the Kings. The Kings were going to give up. But somehow, Sacramento mustered just enough energy, even though they were on the second night of a back-to-back themselves. Oh, the Cavs were as well. But they just came back. They actually had a pretty good run. They held the Cavs scoreless for the rest of the game. They won a 9-0 run on their own. Just down one now, the Kings sold the ball from Cavs rookie Evan Mobley immediately call a timeout, and with just enough time for one shot, they drew up a play inexplicably for De'Aaron Fox, who had struggled offensively all night instead of Tyrese Halliburton, who had it going. He was their best offensive player by far. Rajon Rondo defended Fox well, forced him into a tough shot, and the Kings' comeback fell short. But I was watching that play. I'm going, where the hell are you going to Fox? I mean, I know he's faster. He can break down... In theory, he can get to the rim, but he did it. I mean, Rondo did a pretty good job. I mean, maybe that's why you acquire a veteran like Rondo. Maybe he has a, a few more plays like this if the Cavs want to go on a sincere and deep playoff run. But for the most part, I was just – I mean, Kings got a Kings, right? That's just the way they do things. Why not go to Halliburton when he was clearly their better player? He was shooting well from the perimeter too. Uh, I mean, just – I think in my opinion, he would have been able to at least get a shot off over Halliburton, over Rondo – that wouldn't have been as tightly contested. And uh, maybe it would have given them a chance to win. And I think it would have been a feel-good victory for them, too, because they certainly could use it. I asked two executives last week. I said, you know, with the Kings, are you guys looking for Barnes or, you know, Bagley? I know that he's been in talks with a number of teams right. lately. Um, or, you know, what, what what do you think the Kings are going to do? And both of the, the executives were just like, I will believe it when I see it. Like they said, you know, they just like every year we hear that they're going to make a move, they're going to do something. And then, you know, we call and just nothing. So there's, there's clearly frustration, I think, with trying to figure out exactly what the Kings are going to do. Um, I have to think they're another team that's going to have changes of the deadline. But again, it's the Kings. We just don't know. Um, You know, I, I, I've heard nothing but great things about Miami there. So I have to believe that he's going to be like, all right, we got to, let's, let's get a, let's shake this up a little bit and at least shake up the cube and see what's inside. And we can figure out, you know, do a little boggle action here, but whoo, boy. Um, I, I mostly want, want the Kings to change things up because like watching Alvin Gentry just descend into <laughs> depression has been rough. Like, don't be wrong. Like, Alvin's basically only been coach of one good team in his career, which was the Suns in 2010. But like, you know, respected long time. Alvin's like a great, like everyone loves Alvin Gentry. But boy, this King team is driving him, um, driving him bonkers. As well as we'll say, good. No, no, as well as shirt, it would would drive anybody crazy. I think. Uh, we'll say seven of Mobley, 17 points in the fourth quarter. Uh, Slim Duncan continues his uh, road to rookie of the year. That seems very much on track. Let's go wrap it up for Locked On NBA. Thanks for joining us and making us your first listen. Really appreciate it. Make sure to give us those five-star reviews. If you want to watch this show, we are on YouTube. You can check us out on the Locked On NBA YouTube channel. You can follow David on Twitter at DRamil13. You can follow me on Twitter at HP Basketball. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you guys again next week. Tomorrow, another edition of Locked On NBA. Thanks for joining us.